Good morning and welcome to Community Baptist Church. We're glad to see everyone here today. Uh, my name is Christine Cornelius and I'm going to go over the announcements and uh, greeting with you today. Uh, as you can see, we have a church-wide potluck today. We welcome everyone to stay for the potluck. If you didn't bring a dish, don't worry about it. We'll hit you up next time for a dish. But we got plenty of food, so we hope that everybody can stay for our potluck. Uh, next week, August 22nd, the youth will have a pizza and a mini golf outing. And also, next Sunday at 4 o'clock, there's a Sunday school workers meeting. Uh, August 24th, uh, on that Monday evening, or is that a Tuesday? Tuesday evening is Women Night Mission, and we're going to be going over to the Miller Home in Owensboro and having dinner. So we welcome any ladies of the church to join us. Um, what time will that be? We're meeting here at the church at 5 o'clock. And August 29th, we're going to have a special evening service on that Sunday. It's a song fest and a hymn dedication. And the choir has new hymnals that have been purchased. And those are in memory of Barbara Hilliard. And we're going to be dedicating those to Barbara on that evening. Uh, so we welcome everybody to come that evening at 6.30 for that special service. Uh, we want to uh, have a record of your uh, being here with us today, so please don't forget to send the clipboards that are on the end of each aisle down, and we ask that you fill those out completely with your information so that we will have a record of you being with us today. Uh, today starts our Upward uh, Ministry kickoff. 101 days from today will be the Upward Awards Night. And if you don't know anything about Upward, just a little overview. Uh, it's a ministry of our church where we try to reach children and their families in our community. So we offer basketball and cheerleading to ages uh, K through sixth grade. And what we do with the Upward Ministry is we bring those families into the church and that gives us a chance to share scripture with the children devotions with the children and through that we try to let each child know that they are special that god created them in god's image and that we through that we try to build self-esteem we try to share the love of christ and we just want to let them know that jesus wants to be their very best friend and so we spend several weeks uh most of september october and november with these children and their families in our church several at least two days a week that they're here so we need lots of volunteers to help with that uh, upward evaluations will begin this week we'll have those on monday tuesday thursday saturday and wednesday if you need a brochure for your child we have some on the upward table that are over here so grab a brochure those were passed out in our schools this last week uh, I want to go over a little bit about what areas you could volunteer in if you're able to. And if I mention one of the upward commissioner's names, if you would stand so that the congregation can kind of see who you are. That way, if they have questions after the service, they'll kind of know who they need to get with on those questions, please. Um, first off, what, what we're asking you to do today is visit our table over here uh, after services and get a prayer commitment card. And on this, you're just saying, I commit to pray for the upward ministry. 
And we'll even give you a list here of 101 days of prayer. So we've got a suggested prayer for each day. And you'll also get a little prayer pen. And you'll get this. It says, pray today. And it's a little magnet. You could stick that like on your mirror. When you get up in the morning and look in the mirror, that's going to remind you. I need to pray for upward today. Um, so I don't know of any of us who couldn't probably, you know, spend a minute a day praying for our upward program. Uh, Brittany Blanford is our upward commissioner this year. And the way that works is once you fill this card out, she'll make sure that you get on a prayer team. And that prayer team leader will pass to you any special prayer request during the upward ministry. Every week when we have devotions, we ask our children for prayer requests. And uh, Vince Davis has built us a beautiful prayer box uh, for this year. And also during game days, we have that, we'll have that box out front. And if any, anyone in their family has a special prayer request, we pass that on to our, uh, all of our prayer teams so we can be in special prayer for that family. Secondly, um, uh, myself and my husband, John over here, John Cornelius, we're the directors of Upward. And that just means we delegate what needs to be done to you? <laughs> yeah, we tell you what to do. Uh, this would be our fourth year, third or fourth year, I guess. Uh, and and we always come out of it with with a blessing. So um, we appreciate you letting us be your your directors, Dr. Hobbs. We're going to call him. The, where did Dr. Oh, he's back here. He's back here. Going to do. Uh, we had baptism this morning. Uh, we call him the CEO. He's the CEO of our commissioners, and he just helps out anywhere we need it. He comes on Saturdays and talks with the families. He's here on Tuesdays and Thursdays during practice and talks with the families and just tries to minister to the families during the season. Uh, Mary Rye is our devotion commissioner. And if you could help with devotions in any way, see Mary Rye, or if you have any questions about what we do on devotions, I would really encourage everyone during the 10 weeks of practice to try to come either a Tuesday or a Thursday evening and see what this ministry is really about. When you come on Saturday, it's kind of chaotic, it's kind of crazy. You come on Tuesday and Thursday, and Mary and also Nora Hobson, they each take a night, either a Tuesday or Thursday, and they spend two hours back in the choir room, and they do the devotion six times. So all of the children get to hear the devotion. They share a scripture with them. They share a devotion time with them. They take those prayer requests, and they pray with those children. And they would love to have you come and be back here with them on any Tuesday or Thursday and let those kids know and the family out here know that, that you're praying for them. Uh, Sybil Keach and Pat Zimmerman, they are our concession commissioners. And if you'd like to help in the concession anyway, we'd be glad to have you help. And you think, well, how's that really part of the ministry? A lot of times when you're working in the concession and you're handed out popcorn and drinks to the kids after the game, and they come up and you just give them a smile and tell them, hey, you played a great game today. Or, boy, you sure do look cute in that cheer outfit. It just really helps them just, just to have that positive word during the day. So we really appreciate our concession workers. Greg Gibson in the back there, he takes care of our special events, uh, decorating for today's potluck, 
organizing our Upward Awards Night. If you're a person who likes to do event planning, you get with Greg because he, he can put you to work. Our administration is done by Teresa Kritzer. Oh, I think uh, she, she's back there. She's back there, too. Uh, and also Nibby, he takes care of our website, Nibby Priest. Dottie Sugg and Dorothy Spalding in the office. They're in there every day of the week answering all these calls that we get about Upward and answering people's questions. So we really appreciate them. Our cheer um, commissioners this year are Leslie Fowler and Royce Neal. And they will be who you need to speak to if you think you're interested in being a cheer coach. They can hook you up. They can answer your questions. Uh, basketball this year is Jerry Neal, and I don't believe he's here today. He, I got a call from Royce yesterday, and he had hurt his hip. But Jerry can answer your questions. Since he's not here today, if you have questions or if you're interested in being a basketball coach, you could see Nicole Fleming. She coached two teams a couple of years ago. Uh, you could see Tim Hall. He's been a coach, I think, for just about the whole 13, 14 years he's coached. Uh, John Cornelius, uh, we've got a lot of people here who have coached, so we can answer your questions. Referee commissioner is Todd Grass. He can hook you up if you're interested in being a referee. Um, our referees are a little different. You don't have to have any formal training. <laughs> More than anything, you just have to help pick, up, pick them up off the floor and crowd control. And <laughs> And, uh, and sometimes the referees are out there helping, you know, help the kids, show them how to do a layup. So our advertising commissioner is Mary Dunham. She's not here today, but if you're interested in helping in advertising in any way, she does that. Our outreach commis commissioner this year is Kristen. And uh, Jerry Neal's also helping her. And what Kristen's going to do during the course of Upward this year is plan some special events for the children that we can invite them into the church that that are you know not not really related to upward but you know maybe take them out for a day and do something fun and she also needs people to be pen pals so if you could write children who are not affiliated with the church anywhere maybe a note just letting them know that you're praying for them that you're glad that they're involved with with the program set up cleanup this year is john cornelius uh, we've always had a great group that helps get, get the gym ready and cleans it up afterwards. I'm doing the greeters this year. It's always nice to have somebody at the front door with a smile and who can just help direct the people where they need to go. So if you would be interested in being a greeter. And have I missed anything? I don't think so. So what you need to do, either before the potluck, during the potluck, or after the potluck, or if you can't stay for the potluck, see us on your way out. We've got all the forms you need to fill out over here. We ask that you at least be a prayer partner. We really need prayer partners, and we can sign you up for any of the other areas. Uh, we do need scholarships. If you can help monetarily, there is a basket on the end of our table over there. It's $65 for a child to play. We ask that anyone that plays that the family at least pay $20. So we do partial scholarships. We've got a lot of people in our community right now out of work. I've already had several calls, people wanting to know if they can get scholarships. They want their kids to be involved 
and we don't want to have to turn anybody away. So if you can help out monetarily, if you make out a check, just make sure at the bottom you notate that it's for upward scholarships. And I don't have any other announcements today. Uh, let's stand and let's greet each other, and we're glad you're here. Thank you. Amazing love, how can 
God's people said.
morning, everyone. We are here for a very special celebration today. It is the celebration of new life in Jesus Christ. This is Emily Hudson, a very dear young girl, a, a girl who has grown up in this church since the time she was a tiny baby. And so most of us know her very well. And this summer, she was in vacation Bible school and during the uh, vacation Bible school, she made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we Amen. celebrate with her today that profession of faith in Jesus Christ. You know, we are here in this baptismal pool. It's a little cool, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> She's shaking a little bit. It's a little cool, but that's okay. It's fine with me. But there's a lot of water in this pool. And that's the reason we are here is for a baptismal service. And some people ask, well, why do Baptists use so much water? <laughs> well, for a couple of reasons. Because of the symbolism behind it. A couple of things that this water symbolizes. For one thing, it symbolizes cleanliness. This is like a washing away of our sins. And so as, as Emily is baptized today, it is representative of her sins being washed away from her life. It's also representative of a new life, a life that Emily has started when she became a Christian, when she accepted Christ as her Savior. And the Bible tells us that when we are baptized, it is like we are dying to an old self and we are being raised to a new self, a whole new life. And so the symbolism here is as she goes down into the water, it is as if she is being buried, her old life is being buried, and as she emerges from the water, it is a whole new life that she begins, a life that is blessed by God and a life that is committed to follow God every single day of her life. She has made that commitment to Jesus Christ, and so we celebrate with her today. Emily, on your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son. Good morning. Let's see. Uh, any of any of the little ones here this morning? Any little friends here this morning? Did you know that Jesus was baptized in a river? Just like if we went down to the riverfront and uh, Brother Tim met us there as a church. And you can come closer because I'm going to have to get on my knees, I think, in just a second. And we're going to... We're going to do something a little messy. People at the church don't think we get very messy. But we're going to get a little messy, okay? Well, this is a what? What kind of book is this? You take a guess? It starts with a B sound. 
Bible. When you come to church, I really like it when you bring your Bible. There are all kinds of Bibles. Any Bible will do. So when I open up my Bible, you can see that there's a lot in the pages in the front, and there are very few pages in the back. The back of the Bible is called the New Testament. And the New Testament is where Jesus lived and where we read stories that Jesus told us. And here's a little bit for you, a little bit for you. Oh, it's okay if it doesn't all match. A little bit for you. And do you want a little bit too? Okay. And we're going to thank Wendy's for my French fries last night. Do you ever eat French fries? Where's your favorite place to get French fries? McDonald's. I love them. I used to get supersized. Now I get kid size. Partly because it makes me feel young, partly because my cardiologist likes it better when I get kid size. Where's your favorite place to get French fries? McDonald's too? Do you get the kids meal? You hold that just like that, okay? You can do that. Don't do anything with it yet. Keep it right on top of the white paper. You like McDonald's? Where's your favorite place to get French fries? Where do you like them from? From Sonic. From Sonic? I've never had Sonic French fries before. They're really good. Can you hold that just like that? Can you hold it just like this? You know they have this new place called Culver's. Oh, you've got to wait in line. But I wait in line for those Culver French fries, and they are so good. I tell you what, and here you go, miss, right there. Now, what we have here is, what's this called? Can you tell? Can you tell what this is? This is salt. Listen to what Jesus told us about salt. And he says it in the book of Matthew. And this is a chapter book. I was so proud of myself when I got to school and I could read chapter books. It was about the fourth grade, but I made it. <laughs> From the book of Matthew in chapter 5, verse 13. You, 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 me, everybody sitting in this room, everybody looking down on us from the choir, you are the salt of the earth. And if our salt becomes tasteless, how can it become salty again? So when we're Christians, we're salt. Now here's what I want you to do. It's a little messy. I told you. It's okay. Won't nobody get upset. Flick your finger. Okay, ready? Pour just a little bit of salt onto your finger you just licked. Now taste the salt. What's it taste like? I like it so much I gotta do it again. Because we believe in Christ and because Christ loved us so much that he died for our sins, we have to be different. We have to love people more. We have to do nice things for people. And we have to taste differently than the rest of the people in the world. And I want you to remember, oh gosh, it really does taste good, doesn't it? <laughs> I want you to remember that Jesus told us 
In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt in us, in our hearts, becomes tasteless, how can it become salty again? Let's close our eyes and let's bow our heads. Sometimes I put my hands together, sometimes not. Dear God, thank you for making our hearts salty. Thank you for preserving us from evil and for making us your children. Keep us from sin and help us to do good in your name. Amen. You can take your white paper and you can take your salt back to your seat. It was so good to see you today.
Please be seated. Good morning. Today our scripture reference is taken from Luke 16, 1 through 9. Please follow along. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master has taken the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down now quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked the other, How much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended his dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, for the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, Make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into eternal homes. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us to be faithful stewards of what you have given us. We thank you for the gifts and the blessings that you bestow on each of us. We ask that you help us to be honest and upright in our dealings with others and to convey that love that you showed through your Son, Jesus Christ. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. 
bow your heads and pray with me. Jesus, thank you for this wonderful day, and thank you for bringing all these great people here to worship with us. Also, please help us in all that we do with Upward, and help this message to touch the hearts of everyone that it's meant to touch.
wade in the water. Doesn't that just make you want to kick your shoes off and dive in? Of course, some of us have already done some wading in the water today, haven't we? (laughs) There's an old story about a young man in Montana who bought a horse from a farmer for $100. And the farmer agreed to deliver to deliver the horse the next day. However, when the next day came around, the farmer reneged on his promise. I'm afraid the horse has died, he said. And so the young man said, well, then give me my money back. But the farmer said, can't do that. I've already spent it. Well, the young man thought about this for a moment and said, okay, then just bring me the dead horse. So the farmer asked, what are you going to do with a dead horse? And the young man said, I'm going to raffle him off. And the farmer said, you can't raffle off a dead horse. And the young man said, sure I can. I just won't tell anybody that he's dead. (laughs) Well, about a month later, the farmer ran into this young man and asked, whatever happened to that dead horse? The young man said, I raffled him off. I sold 500 tickets at $2 a piece and made a profit of $998. Farmer said, didn't anybody complain? And he said, just one man, the one that won. So I gave him his $2 back. (laughs) Now that's an enterprising young man. We might even call him something of a con man. But you know, there's something about a con artist that captures our imagination. In fact, there have been several successful television programs lately, like Leverage and The Mentalist and White Collar, where the hero is a former con man who is now using his creative skills for the greater good. And it seems that this kind of edginess of character intrigued Jesus as well. We see, Jesus told a parable about a man with that kind of wily disposition. He, too, was something of a con man. There was a rich man who had a manager for his estate, but the manager was a, was a bit lax in his oversight, so the master finally decided that he had had enough. So he called the manager in, told him he was finished, and he demanded he provide an accounting of his work. Well, the manager was terrified. What should I do now, he thought to himself. I'm, I'm about to lose my job, and I, I'm not strong enough to dig dick to dig ditches. I'm too proud to beg. And so he, so he hatched up a plan. He called in each of his master's debtors one at a time. And he asked the first one, how much do you owe? The debtor replied, 800 gallons of olive oil. And so the manager told him, let's make it 400 instead. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And so the manager said, let's make it 800. Most would say that this guy's ethics were certainly out of whack. But his sense of survival was kicking in at full speed. You see, he was using his position to buy himself some friends so that he would have somewhere to turn when he was out of work and out on the streets and out of a job. He was taking a risk, of course. The risk was that his boss could have had him thrown into jail. And that's probably what should have happened. But this is Jesus' parable. And let's face it, Jesus has a tendency to, to think outside of the box. 
So listen to how Jesus ended this little tale. He said, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world, said Jesus, are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoa. Hmm. Did we hear that right? Did we hear that right? I mean, the master, the guy who this manager cheated, is commending the dishonest manager. Now, in most of Jesus' parables, when there's a situation like this, the owner of a farm or, or a ranch or something like that, the owner usually represents God. So that's, does that mean that God likes a con artist? Well, no, I, I don't think so. We, we glamorize con artists in movies and TV, but, but the truth is that they take advantage of weak and unsuspecting people. And I suspect that God despises a con artist for the injustices that they purvey. However, for, for more than 2,000 years now, conscientious people of faith have struggled with this parable. And that's exactly what Christ intended. For you see, Jesus wants us to puzzle over his teachings. He wants us to stretch our minds and our, our souls. This is how we grow in our faith. But I think that there are several reasons why the master commended this dishonest manager. And the first one is this. Jesus liked people of action. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, for example, what, what made the Samaritan so good? Did he keep all of the commandments? Probably not. Did he subscribe to all of the articles of orthodoxy? No. The very fact that he was a Samaritan meant that he was outside of the mainstream of the Jewish faith. So what was it that made him so good? Well, here it is. He saw a person in need and he helped him. And he uses the story of the Good Samaritan as an example of how we should live our own lives. And it, and it doesn't have to be a major big deal like the Good Samaritan who pulled a, a half-dead body from the ditch. It's kind of like that, that liberal, Liberty Mutual commercial that we see on TV lately. And the one in which a, a person is walking down the street and he's texting or something and and he comes to a stop walk and he's about to step into traffic and suddenly a person puts out his arm and, and stops him from, from uh, going out into oncoming traffic. traffic. And there's a person inside the window who sees that and, and so it inspires him to help a lady with a baby stroller get off a bus and someone sees that and, and this, this person helps someone get something from a tall shelf, from a high shelf and, and so it goes as acts of kindness become contagious as people see a need no matter how important or trivial it might be and then they do something about it. But the point is that what contrasted the Samaritan in the parable of the Good Samaritan 
with the holy priests and the well-respected teacher of the law was that the priest and the teacher saw a need and ignored it. But the Samaritan saw a need and did something about it. And Jesus likes that. It seems that Jesus likes people of action. Jesus likes people who are not content with lamenting over what should or should not be done, but people who are willing to to roll up their sleeves and do something. Folks, Jesus has enough hand ringers in the world, and you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Those people who look at the world's problems and say, well, that's awful. Somebody ought to do something about that. And you know something? They should. But let me rephrase that. We should, because there are times that call for immediate action. I read recently about a man named William John Cavendish Bentick Scott, the fifth Duke of Portland, and it's not Maine, (laughs) not even Oregon or Washington. seems that William was a recluse. He was deathly afraid of having contact with other human beings. And he he lived in this huge mansion, complete with a a giant ballroom. But but William rarely left his bedroom. He communicated with his staff by writing notes to them. And no one was allowed to speak to him or look at him or touch him. He had an elaborate tunnel built underneath his estate so that he could move around without even being seen. And in the unlikely event that one of his staff might actually see him, they were warned that they should pretend that he was not even there. Now, there's a man with a problem. But you know something? Truth of the matter is that a lot of people have a little bit of William John Cavendish in us as well. You see, our lives, many, for many of us, our lives are, are dominated by fear. We're afraid of what other people might think. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of making a mistake. And so we we move through life making ourselves as invisible as we possibly can, doing as little as we possibly can, not because we are bad, but because we are afraid. Well, this dishonest manager was afraid too. He was losing his job. And by his own admission, he wasn't strong enough to dig ditches. He was too proud to beg. And so what was he going to do? Well, he hatched himself a plan. He'd call in his master's debtors and discount their debts, thereby making friends for himself that might return the favor when he was out on the streets. And Jesus praised the man for taking action. You know, there are some people who won't even act, even in their own behalf. Have you, not, have you noticed that? For many people, somebody or something outside of themselves has to intervene and motivate them to get into action. Pastor Richard Stetler tells about two men whom he calls Jim and Bob, who worked in the same division of AT&T Wireless, and it seems that both of these men 
lost their jobs when AT&T merged with uh, Singular back in 2005. Well, when the news reached Jim that he was about to be laid off, he grew very bitter. He was 54 years old, and immediately he began to lament about company politics and how it, he had given his life and his soul to AT&T only to be treated with no respect He grew resentful and and fearful. He said, what company would want to hire me at my age? But Jim's colleague, Bob, was 56, and he too was facing imminent job loss. However, he began to think of possibilities. He had friends and human resources over at Verizon and in other smaller companies. He had networked well during his career. And so he placed his resume into their hands and carried himself with a a hopeful and enthusiastic attitude, believing that this change was only a minor blip in his career path. He knew he had a wealth of experience and an institutional memory that his younger counterparts did not have. And Pastor Stetler says that regardless of what anyone believes, there is a barrier that separates these two men. He said Jim's bitterness did not serve him well when he went in to interview with other companies. His hurt feelings and his unhealed spirit um, showed through. And so the obvious happened. Bob left his position. He's currently working with Verizon while Jim continues to experience a gulf that he just cannot cross. And I'm sure that some of you have seen that happen to people. Like Jim, they're faced with a difficult situation and they become paralyzed with fear and uncertainty. And and that usually leads to bitterness and anger and And there are some people who, for whatever reason, become so defeated and so despondent that they refuse to even act on their own behalf. And you know, the amazing thing about this is how religious some of these people are. And I know that may sound a little cruel, but we're dealing with a deep spiritual problem. You realize, of course, that one reason some people come to religion is because they're afraid. Religion helps them to deal with a stressful world. And when some people, when some people have a problem, they pray. And they pray. And they pray. And they they wait. And they wait and they wait some more. And all the while they're being very religious. But the problem is that at the same time that they are praying and waiting and praying and waiting, God is also waiting, waiting for them to do something about their own situation. It's kind of like that classic story. Most of you have probably heard it. It's one of those oldies, but goodies. It's that classic story about the man in the flood. And and as the waters lapped up at the bottom of his steps, a man in a rowboat came by and offered to take him to safety. But the man refused and said, no, I'll trust in the Lord to save me. And then the waters continued to rise and it, it began to pour into the man's house. And then a motorboat came by and offered to take him to safety. But the man refused, saying, 
I'll trust in the Lord to save me. Then as the man was sitting on top of his roof, the water was about to wash his house out from under him. A helicopter came by, offered to take him to safety, but the man refused, saying, I'll trust in the Lord to save me. Well, the inevitable happened. The house crumbled and was washed away and the man drowned. But when he entered the pearly gates, he asked God, why didn't you save me? I put my trust in you, but you didn't save me. And God said, I don't know what you're talking about. I sent you a rowboat, a powerboat and a helicopter. I don't know what else you would need. Now, please do not misunderstand me. God surely wants us to pray when we are in a difficult situation. But you know something? God also wants us to act. Get in the rowboat. Pick up the phone. Enlist the help of friends or a friend or a family member. Learn some new skills. Don't sit there passively and expect someone else to rescue you. Do something to help yourself. And then Jesus says something very interesting. He said, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Jesus understood how the world really operates. And he knew that sometimes even scoundrels are more successful, not because they're smarter or more talented, but because they're more opportunistic. They are not held back by their fears. They're not held back by their doubts. And, they, and they've learned to be self-reliant and self-motivated. And so Jesus praised this dishonest manager, not because he was dishonest, but because he did not give in to his fears. Instead, he reached out and he made friends with some people who could help him when he was out on the streets. Now, obviously, Jesus would not approve of his methods. But that's another parable. His purpose here is to spotlight the man's resolve. He was in a predicament. And so he did something about it. And Jesus praised him for it. And I believe that that's what Jesus wants us to do as well. Basically, we have a choice. We can sit around feeling sorry for ourselves. We can complain that somebody ought to be doing something and we can pray. But folks, if there's something that you can do, then do it. And God will bless your efforts. There's a delightful little story of a man who was shipwrecked on a lonely island. But to his surprise, he found that he was not alone on the island at all. In fact, there was a large tribe of people who shared the island. And amazingly, they welcomed him warmly and treated him very well. In fact, they made him their king and catered to his every desire. Well, he was delighted, but puzzled. Why were they treating him in such a royal fashion? And, and then as his ability to communicate with them increased, he learned that they had a tribal custom to choose a king for a year. But when the year was over, the king would be transported to another island and abandoned. 
And so the man's delight suddenly turned into distress. Things were really good right now, but soon he would be alone on this desert island. But then he thought to himself, thought of a a shrewd plan. He was king. He could order people to do whatever he wanted them to do. And so over the next several months, he sent members of the tribe over to the other island to, to clear the land and to build him a beautiful house and to furnish the house and to plant some crops. And then he sent some of his closest friends over there to live and to wait for him. And then when his time of reigning was over, he was put in a place that was carefully prepared for him, full of friends who were delighted to receive him. You see, he saw a problem. Then he did something about it. It's not in the scripture that God helps those who help themselves. This saying is usually attributed to Ben Franklin. And I think it's only partially true at best because God also helps those who can't help themselves. But God will not do for us what we can do for ourselves. You know, if God constantly worked to solve all of our problems, we would remain forever emotionally and spiritually immature. And that's not what God wants. God's aim for us is maturity in our faith. And so here it is, folks. You got a problem? Here's the answer. Pray and work. God likes us to pray, but he also likes people of action. So pray and work, but don't attempt one without the other. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of response when, when I pray, when I pray, I left my worship folder back there. So <laughs> when I pray, which is so appropriate, because it is appro- appropriate for us to pray as long as we add feet to our prayers and work. But that's our hymn of response, and we're going to give you an opportunity to, re- to respond as the Holy Spirit leads you to. There may be someone who needs to make a commitment to Christ today to accept the Lord as your Savior, to follow the example of Emily today, accepting Him as your Savior, as your Lord, and committing your life to following the ways and the teachings of Christ every day. If you've never done that before, I hope you will do that today. Maybe you're looking for a church home to be a part of. We invite you to unite with our church as we seek to be the people of Christ in this place. As we seek to minister to this world and to to share the good news of Christ as we see fit, as God leads us. Perhaps you just need to come and have a time of prayer. We invite you to do that. If God would lead you in any way, we invite you to come and we will pray with you and we'll celebrate God's work in your, in your heart. Would you come?
that's a new song for me. Uh, but isn't it beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful song? Thank you. Thank you for picking that. Um, we're glad that you're here. And we are here because we are the people of God. And as we leave this place, we leave as the people of God. But I hope that you will not leave here without eating first. Because that's important. It's important that not only that we nourish our bodies with food, but we nourish our souls with Christian fellowship. So we invite you to to stay and to, to share this meal together. And if you didn't bring anything, you know what? I've never left a potluck lunch empty. There's plenty, I guarantee you. So please stay. We will, we will have plenty to eat and, uh, and enjoy the fellowship together. Let us pray together. Oh God, we are grateful for the spirit that you put within us that guides us and gives us comfort and peace. We are grateful for your son, oh God, who lived and died on this earth that we may have salvation through him. We are thankful for the creator God who put all of this in place. And we are thankful that that you are in this place in each of our hearts. And that as we leave this place, we go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, following his ways and encouraged and motivated to pray and to work. Amen.